Welcome everyone to Investors Gallery. Um, where if you've listened to this podcast before, you know there's a running joke. And a running joke is one day we will shoot this in my actual art gallery for those who are watching visually and on Facebook as well. Uh, my art gallery is on the other side of the wall, but I've I built everything behind me, obviously not the furniture. Um, but I've basically created almost 500 square feet uh, of art gallery, office space, um, and some other cool stuff in my home. So one day we'll be in our actual art gallery. Um, we are actually trying to uh, get some stuff finalized with uh, another artist who has an art gallery. I thought that would be cool as well to start doing podcasts in the actual art gallery. So we're trying to get that put together. But I have, uh, I always have a really special guest. But tonight I have an even more special guest, and you'll see why he's uh, just a, a little bit more special than the rest of us. Um, sir, introduce yourself and, and give us your background, your, your bio, and, and let us know how you got into this. Yeah, for sure. It's a pleasure to be here, Presley. I appreciate uh, your time and your allowing me to come on and talk in front of your audience. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Donis. I work um, with my two brothers. Uh, we got into real estate a few years ago to the single family space. Uh, we started doing wholesaling and some creative financing, and then we did a fix and flip as well. And initially, um, I'm relatively young compared to a lot of people in the space. The reason I got into real estate in the first place um, was to retire my single mother, and that's still the goal. Um, fast forward, after we got into single family, we ended up jumping into commercial real estate pretty early on. So um, now we've been a co-sponsor on a little over a thousand units. Um, and we have our, our first deal under contract that we sourced ourselves as well. So um, things are, are ramping up pretty quickly. Um, really, the, the purpose for us and what we focus on is 100 plus unit multifamily property uh, here in North Carolina, which is where I live, as well as Atlanta, Georgia, and then uh, Jacksonville, Florida. So it's a pleasure to be here and more than happy to answer any questions and to bring value to your audience. Uh, my first question, how many podcasts have you been on? Because you've been throwing <laughs> around the interweb for a while. Yeah, it's, honestly, I don't. I, I should probably go back and count. Um, I've been wanting to do that, but I try to go on and say yes to anything and everything. And um, in the beginning, it was more so me trying to out, do some outreach and trying to get in front of as many audiences as possible. But at this point, now a lot of people are reaching out to me. So um, I'd probably say anywhere from 30 to 40 if I had to give you like a range. Um, wow. We have our own podcast too. So yes. uh, that doesn't count though. We don't, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you have sent me details, um, for your, um, your website and your podcast, and that will be in the, this podcast is also, um, sent out on other platforms. So Deezer awesome. and iTunes and Google podcasts, and there's about 20 more. Um, so that yeah. information will be there. But, um, you know, let's do it now because I don't want to forget. I don't want to get uh, sure. on other topics. Give everybody your podcast information um, and as well also how they can reach you um, and that information now so, we, so I don't forget. For sure. So um, our website and uh, our, our, our free uh, five mistakes that passive investors typically make that we like to give out to anyone for free is uh, www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash playbook. Our website is just www.donisinvestmentgroup.com. Um, you can find us on social media at Donis Brothers on pretty much every platform, including TikTok. Um, and then in regards to myself on uh, LinkedIn, you can just look up Jeffrey 
Donis and then Donis Investment Group to find our company profile. The podcast name is The Real Estate Monopoly. Uh, we're pretty much on all platforms at this point. So happy to connect on any of those. Awesome. I appreciate you giving that out. Yeah. Um, I think I have a few more extra questions for you. For sure. Because your life has a lot of similarities and overlap as mine did. Mostly the fact that we both got into real estate really young. Yeah. The difference is you became successful really young. Um, I did kind of go off on a tangent, tangent on my own because I wanted to, real estate was kind of the family business and I wanted to see, hey, can I, can I actually be a real entrepreneur or am I just really following the footsteps you know, of the, the seeds that were planted in me? Hmm. So the first question is what got you curious and, and started in the, the real estate realm? Because you say you started out of wholesaling and kind of uh, what we call in our, in our classes, the, uh, the lower barrier to entry. How did you get started? Or what drew that yeah. curiosity? For sure. So growing up, um, I, I come from a quote unquote low income background. So do you think that's very subjective? So to give you the story on why we get started in real estate, um, I was a college student uh, not that long ago, 2019, 2020, um, freshman year and six months in, I was doing really well in school. I went to Guatemala, which is where my mom is from for the first time. And that's where I really realized what like real poverty looks like. Um, and not to exaggerate it in any way, but it was just very different from where, the way that we grew up. Or I can't really assume for you, but for myself, uh, my brothers and I, we come from, like I said, low income based on what society has told us here in the States. But when we were in Guatemala, they didn't have, they were wearing my clothes that my mom would send over that like years ago, I forgot about. I saw my aunts, my uncles, you know, all of them wearing that clothes that I honestly just was like, it was pretty much not worthless to us, but it was not as much valuable as it was for them. There was not as much clean water. Um, there was no AEC, no heat, small things like that, that I take for granted that I did have here in the States, they didn't have. So that really immediately showed me that I had an opportunity here in the United States um, and my brother always liked to say that it was like we won the American lottery of being born here. Uh, we had opportunities and the chance to build whatever we wanted. So when we came back, um, we had already started listening to podcasts before we left, but we were in that paralysis analysis phase. Uh, so when we came back, we were like, okay, at this point now, everything that we said in the past was just a limiting belief and an excuse to not take action. So now we're not going to waste any more time. Um, our goal was to retire our mother and as well as help our family in Guatemala. So as soon as we got back, started cold calling uh, and all throughout this process. And I still do this every single day. It's a daily habit that we've built is we're always educating ourselves. So just reading these books behind me, I don't know if your audience can see this, but we have Think and Grow Rich, which, which I poured out with the first two books we read. And that immediately taught my, my brain that like anything that I can think I can accomplish. Um, obviously, there's massive action that needs to be taken by uh, to achieve those goals. And then I kind of learned about real estate through Rich Dad Poor Dad heard about bigger pockets, kept listening to this podcast um, through YouTube. It was like really YouTube university. And that's what started pulling me slowly away from school because I was going the traditional route of going to corporate America. I'm trying to get a nine to five job and maybe make a 60 grand when I graduated, if I was lucky. Um, and as soon as we started taking action and wholesaling, we eventually landed on our first deal. And that was the summer. And we closed on our first deal after my freshman year of college, right before I was supposed to apply again for college the second year. Uh, and I told myself, if I make any money this summer, I'm not going back because I, I love what I'm doing. I'm learning a lot. That's what I happened to, to me. <laughs> yeah, that's I told myself, I told myself, yeah, yeah. 
I told myself, if I make money, I'm not going back. My mom was really upset because as I'm sure you're, I'm not sure if your family's from here, but as an immigrant mother, that's her dream was for her kid to go to school. And it was hard for me to like walk away from that, but it excited me. I was scared, but uncomfortable. And I just kept like, I kind of looked up to people that were, I was learning from in regards to the books I was reading and the podcast I was listening to. And I just kept hearing becoming an entrepreneur. If, if that's something that like you need to do, you don't have to go to school for that. So that's what attracted me to it. I loved that. Um, no one, no one was telling me I should, like, a lot of the people in my circles were telling me probably not the right decision, but then Dale Carnegie said this quote, and I honestly still live by it. He said, don't take advice from someone you wouldn't trade places with. And it's not to the extent of um, like my mother can give me advice on how to be a parent because I think she's an amazing mother in regards to starting a business. My mother unfortunately never did that. So it's hard for me to take her advice on that, but um, other things I, I definitely will. Right. So that's when I kind of was starting to realize, okay, well, perhaps I shouldn't listen to this person because they never started a business. Um, and maybe I should ask other people. So that's when I, eventually started joining different mastermind groups and i'll stop here but that's kind of what got us on that track of starting to go and take the non-traditional path and start to seek out different types of education and mentors outside of the traditional schooling system yeah wow that, that's amazing yeah I, yeah your your life uh mirrors mine even more than i thought so <laughs> um and i don't think this is anywhere public uh so you know everyone will be hearing most of this for the first time I went to an aeronautical high school. So the, the, the rough part, um, even though my family um, was very blessed, my grandmother was the first yeah. African-American for Chrysler um, as an engineer. Um, so my grandparents did pretty well. Uh, my grandfather worked for the post office, which back then, you know, was a, it's, I mean, it's still a good job to have, I guess. But yeah. back yeah. then, it was a really big deal to work for the post office. It was a government job. Um, but by the time I came, things got a little bit rougher, a little bit harder. So we were probably, we were probably very, very low middle class, or I don't know what they call the high end of being poor, <laughs> but we were kind of in that range. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very mixed bag. So like, um, I remember, uh, having rough Christmases and Thanksgiving, but we also had a RV and a boat. <laughs> It was very <laughs> weird, uh, but yeah. to, to, to comment on your, your college experience, I told myself I wanted to go, so I got my potter's license the first time when I was in high school, and I told myself um, I wanted to go, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. Yeah. You got to have good grades for that, um, and I never applied myself in school. Actually, nobody ever told me that I was smart until I graduated, and then I realized I'm I have a lot of more intelligence than I thought. So yeah. long story short, I went to college and I met a gentleman and we started making money. Um, mm. my, my path was still to go for, uh, to be, get a degree in aeronautical engineering. And I told yeah. myself, man, if, if I start making money, because I still wanted to do real estate, yeah. um, but I wanted to be, I don't want to say actually successful, but I wanted to make good money at it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I came back home and we started making money. The problem for me was I was meeting investors at the age of 17, 17, 18. I graduated high school uh, aged early um, and they were making 60 grand a month. They were uh, a lot of them were brokering um, yeah. mortgage notes or some kind of big deals. I remember 
I met some guy who brokered a helicopter deal and it was like he got paid it's like fifty thousand dollars off that one deal. And I'm a college student. I'm like, you got fifty thousand from one deal, and you guys yeah. want me to go to school to learn how to make you know eighty thousand <laughs> in a year? No, I already had the entrepreneur yeah. bug. So that that's really amazing to hear. I'm curious because a lot of people struggle with this. So no person will really tell you this until they're really comfortable, but nobody really knows what they're really doing and have 100% confidence in it. We find stuff that we're good at, like real estate, yeah. and we kind of have a passion for real estate. If there were people who really knew what they were doing um, in all sense of the, of the word or the, or the phrase, they would not make mistakes. You know, if you're driving right, down the street right. in the car, you know what you're doing. You don't hit the curb. And as investors yeah. and syndicators, you know, every now and then we hit the curb because we we know, you know, these tricks, we know these numbers and stuff, but we don't really have it figured out because we're human. My question yeah. to you is, how did you know real estate? How Because we yeah. all go to real estate or maybe stock trading or maybe some kind of entrepreneur thing. How did you pick real estate? Yeah, great question. Um, and honestly, it was just YouTube. So that, that's the, my, my brother, like my older brother. So I have two brothers. I have a twin brother uh, and my older brother. And my older brother was watching YouTube one day and it was the breakfast club. And a guy named Mark Witten came on and started talking about wholesaling single family. And he explained his background and how he was a minority. And it appealed to my brother because we're also quote unquote minority, not to say that it's like a, to yeah. give us like an excuse or like a limiting belief, but it, it kind of was the way that it was attracted to him and pulled him in. So he was like, okay, well, this is interesting. So we started learning more about what wholesaling was. Uh, and that's really what opened the doors and the floodgates to what that was. And then as podcasts came along, we started hearing about people like Grant Cardone and what, like him or not, he also does something similar that we do now with syndication and all. So that's what we learned about the syndication space, but that's really what opened the, the floodgates to what real estate was. And then as I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and different types of uh, content, I started looking into, I kept hearing the most millionaires are made in real estate. So it was just a recurring thing that a lot of people become wealthy through this one vehicle. Um, and it made a lot of sense. And that's, that's really the thing that got us into it. Wow. And, and welcome. And you have been doing an amazing job. So you Thank have you. roughly been in the, in the space for about what, three years, say right around 2019. Correct. Okay. Almost three years. Okay. I got a question. Are you and your other brother twins? Yeah, I'm a twin. I'm 20. I'll be 21 in September. And then my older brother's 24. He just turned 24 two weeks ago. Okay. Okay. So you are, you are, uh, uh, I guess they call it a set of twins, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 Set of twins. Yeah. Identical. I, I swear I was looking at a picture and I was like, <laughs> they, there's no way they're not twins, but sometimes family just looks alike. Right. So, no, for sure. How did you go from the wholesaling to the flipping to now apartment syndication? Did you make a little bit of money in wholesaling and kind of put that into flips and then put that money from flips mm -hmm. into syndication? Or did none of those two work and you just got into syndication? Yeah. So the wholesaling, I wouldn't say it's not that it didn't work. It was just we, we did about in the span of 13 months, we did about 15 deals total. Um, 13 or so wholesale deals. And then we did two um, creative financing deals. So it's like around 16 deals total. And then the last one was a fix and flip. And that fix and flip was just 
uh, a creative thing that kind of came along and it was an opportunity we didn't really want to pass up because we had an end buyer who we'd worked with in the past. He was a cash buyer. He was just willing to be the, the, the private money lender and kind of allow us to just partner on the deal, JV on it. As long as we just brought the deal, he would pay for everything and we could split the profits. So that was like a no brainer for us. But other than that, it was just wholesaling and then creative financing, which by that, I mean, seller financing and then subject to, um, and, and we were doing that uh, to a certain extent, we were starting to scale. Uh, we were like, okay, well, we heard, we learned about syndication through a, a mentor of ours. who We just were on a call and he brought on another guest uh, called out. His name was Alvin Hope Johnson and he was syndicating development deals. And he's still doing that right now. But that, that exposed what it was to us. And we were like, okay, we want to do what that guy's doing. Um, right now, we enjoy what we're doing, but it's not as scalable as we like. And at the end of the day, we want to end up in commercial real estate in the long term. Um, so what's holding us back? We actually sat down on a Sunday and kind of analyzed what's holding us back. And we realized it was limiting beliefs. Now, it's very easy for me to say that looking back, but it was at that point, we didn't have a lot of money. We did have some profits. So we walked away from the wholesaling with a certain amount of money in the bank, um, but we were not making any more income. We had like a few deals in the pipeline and we were like, after this, it's just going to be done. So we're taking a leap of faith and a risk. Um, we invested in our education with our time and then we also paid for mastermind groups and mentorship. And that was the big key in cutting our learning curve and getting us into our first few deals. So that way that income started coming back in. Um, and now we're sourcing our own deals. So I skipped a lot there, but that's kind of how we took that leap of faith and uh, took the money that we made and invested it into mastermind groups. That's for me personally, that's um, the secret to, I guess, our success so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of learning and understanding that you um, didn't know anything at the time. Now you're teaching right. masterminds, right? <laughs> well, I, I'm going right? to invite you to ours. <laughs> no, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, anything I can do that, that value for sure. Um, and a lot of people think that um, it, they can do it on their own, which is I completely think you can. I just think for me personally, um, yeah. That was me. That was <laughs> which me. Is, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's no shame to it. I, I mean, I just think for me personally and a lot of people that are joining these groups, um, I'd rather spend money and that kind of currency to save myself time and the headache yeah. of making the same mistakes. And at the end of the day, uh, it just allows me to go after what I actually want to go get into, which is the larger apartment syndication space. And I can't do that if I have no track record or right. no credibility and no one knows right. me, right? So if I can leverage someone, then that's exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, I was able to find a mentor for that. Right. Um, so I've come from, I have a whole lot of... Um other businesses that I've done and nonprofits and stuff. So when I came into syndication, I was like, well, I'm the numbers guy. Yeah. I'm also the branding guy. I've built all the websites, like everything, you know, that people see I've built, um, you know, and I'm the people's person or I am a people's person. I'm I can do this by myself. Um, syndication <laughs> is one of those things you cannot. Well, you probably can, but you shouldn't. It is mm-hmm. definitely such a, um, it's such so much work that, yeah, I wouldn't suggest anyone who has any kind of sense to try to do this by themselves. Um, I do want to stop. And maybe one day I'll stop talking about Tim. But Tim Ma has a podcast. Um, yeah, I know Tim. And I got this from Tim. So I try to give him a shout out every time um, I say this. Yeah. But Tim has an amazing idea on his podcast. He has everyone in a podcast to put their information in the chat. So Everyone on Facebook, um, put your information below. Everyone on Zoom, if you want to, you don't have to. 
um, put your information in the chat. The reason is the reason I created this platform was for people to meet you or people like yeah. you experts and also be able to ask you questions because in our space is very, uh, I don't want to say it's very easy, but it's, it's pretty easy for us to find someone who makes or has 50 or $100 million um, under management or even more than that. It's not yeah. that difficult. But if you're not right. in our space, um, it's it kind of seems like those people don't exist unless, you know, you go to New York mm. and you're on Wall Street. So I created yeah. this platform for somebody to see this podcast and say, hey, you know, I want to talk to someone who understands how to actually create wealth because I yeah. don't know anyone. So I appreciate you again for being on here. Sure. Yeah. Um, and shouts out for Tim Ma for having an awesome idea. So everyone in the chat, if you want to, post your information. And the reason for that is there might be somebody else that is on the podcast as well who needs you and vice versa. Um, I had an amazing next question to ask you, but I didn't want to forget to do that because I never remember to the end and no worries, off and people don't have to. <laughs> no worries. I put my email here. Anyone can reach out. Um, okay. But no, I, I love Tim Mai as well. I, I had the pleasure of meeting him last year and I've seen him at a few events and he's an awesome mm -hmm. guy. So that's awesome. Yeah. He is. Um, okay, so tell me about going from uh, your fix and flip into your first deal. That's always, as we know, a syndicator, the first one is always the, you know, the cherry popper. Yeah. How did you get into that? And tell me, you know, what, what was your thoughts and emotions when you were entering into that first deal? Oh, for sure. So the first few months, we tried to go things on our by ourselves, as a lot of entrepreneurs tend to do. So we thought, you know, we were successful in finding deals as single family uh, wholesalers um, and, and just single family investors, we can just get direct to sellers. So we started call, cold calling brokers, trying to build a relationship, but kept running into the same obstacles. And I'm sure a lot of people in your audience, if they're after commercial real estate and specifically larger multifamily uh, face, which are, what are your track record? What's your track record? What's your like, you know, what's your experience? Um, have you ever done this before? And we, we had to be honest, right? Uh, so we told them no. And that's kind of what we couldn't really get over because we don't want to lie. So we realized that, okay, well, let's kind of take a step back um, start looking for some type of partner that we could partner with. So eventually we found a group that had uh, an individual who has over 25 years worth of experience. He has over a billion assets under management and he's willing to partner and actually sign on loans and uh, provide so much value and expertise in regards to that. And that's exactly what we needed because we have the hustle. Fortunately, I have a lot of energy. I do have a lot of time. But some things I just can't really come up out of thin air, right? Which is my experience. Like, I, I honestly just can't make that up. So that's something that's going to take time. So what I can do is leverage other people's. So I ended up joining that group. And um, the group is called Think Multifamily out of Dallas. Not sure if you've heard of it, Presley. Um, no, I haven't. Okay. Well, um, that group was the way we found our first deal. So one of the gentlemen in the group, um, he found a deal in Jacksonville, Florida, 138 units. And uh, he eventually was kind of just, you know, he had it under contract. He was uh, looking for different partners to, to come onto the deal. And we were like, okay, how can we bring this gentleman value? There's got to be a way. Um, so I called him, had a conversation with him. I already met him at an event prior to that. Uh, our group had an event, met him in person. He was very nice. So we kind of sparked the relationship there. And I'd always follow up with these people. So I'm very intentional with building and nurturing relationships because you never know um, when they're going to need you or when you're going to need them. So I ended up calling him, uh, asked him kind of what he was working on and he told me. 
And then eventually he kind of let me know what they needed. Now they were looking for, for different partners for different things. And one of those things out of all the things was some uh, people to bring in some equity as well. And I was like, okay, awesome. Well, out of all these things, um, I'm pretty good at marketing. Uh, I can do that for you up, um, in the beginning. So I started sending out some emails uh, to some of the investors and just kind of helping him with small things like that. And then also I had my own investor database that I could reach out to and try to get into the deal. Uh, but I, one thing that a lot of people may not realize is your network is very powerful. And I was building that at that point. So regardless of my age or my experience at that time, I had already had connections that I was starting to tap into. So I'd reached out to a gentleman who uh, was a very experienced operator and, and sponsored on other deals, but he never worked with my, my group. And, and my group has a very solid sponsorship team. So he was looking for that. And I didn't even know it until I called him and asked him, hey, would you be open to partnering with us on a deal if it makes sense? And he said, yes. Uh, so we ended up coming on eventually, fast forwarding. He ended up partnering with us on that deal through our introduction. Um, and before this, I asked the lead sponsor on that deal, if I were to bring a guy on who you know is very experienced, can raise a few million dollars, would that be a value to you? And he, was, he said, yes, yes, it would. And I was like, awesome. So I made that introduction and that's what kind of allowed us to jump into that deal was by bringing on that individual, just with a simple introduction. It didn't really take that long. It didn't take much money. It just took some energy and time, um, yeah. put him on. And then eventually we're doing, you know, investor relations. We're doing, we're on the asset management calls. We're visiting the property a few times a year. And as you can imagine, that's how we're able to like learn so much so fast is by actually doing it in your hands on, 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 on something tangible and you're, now like on the GP team, um, first one's done. It was very scary, honestly, like going and having my own investor webinar call and walking this deal as if like with all these people that have done it multiple times, it's something that's surreal, but uh, you kind of just start to do it so often that it becomes natural. And at the end of the day, one thing that I, I love to always say is I spend so much time with people that are doing the thing that I, I used to want to do. And now I'm doing it myself. Um, but back then it just, you do it so often, you start to rub shoulders with people like that it becomes, they are nonchalantly talking about closing multi-million dollar deals, signing on multi-million dollar loans, raising millions of dollars on deals. And you know, you're just sitting there kind of listening. And on the outside looking in, it does seem a little intimidating, but over time it just becomes like normal. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people, it's a, it's a mindset, mindset shift that happens where you just start to hang out with different people that have different kinds of conversations and are doing different kinds of things. And things that seem so big back then aren't really that big now. And I think it all comes down to the people that you're surrounding yourself with. So that's how that first deal happened um, and how, how we had it, how we did it. Wow. Um, so regarding you and your brothers, do you guys wear specific hats? And, it, and if you yes. do, uh, what are that? What are the roles that you guys have? For sure. For sure. So my brothers and I were very similar in a lot of ways, but I would say like we're, all of us are pretty good people. First people like yourself, um, we can talk to people pretty easily. It comes naturally, but I always wanted to be the one that was like building the relationships. So what I do is the investor relations and the capital raising. So on the front end, I raise the money. I kind of find if it's a co-sponsor, I set the team together and then go on back to our own investors and raise the money. And then on the back end, that's just investor relations where you're keeping all of your investors up to date on how the project's going. Um, kind of the communication person with the whole team. My twin brother, what he does is the marketing for our team. So we have a podcast, uh, we have a website, social media content, lead magnets that you have to put together. All of this does take a lot of time. So that's what he focuses on. And then my older brother does the acquisitions, which is 
sourcing the deals, going, talking to brokers, underwriting deals, going and touring properties. And then um, now that we're lead sponsors and we're, you know, we are, are operating our own deals, um, which we've always done, but now he's going to be solely focused on asset management. Um, so that's kind of what the roles are right now. Um, things could change, but eventually we just want to delegate certain things as the company grows. That's amazing. What would you like to see next in your, in your endeavor? So, well, tell us where you're at now. So I think you actually kind of already hinted on it. You're at a, um, a thousand units. As a co-sponsor. Yes. Okay. Hey, a thousand units is a thousand units. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. For sure. You're at a thousand units um, as a co-sponsor. Um, are, what class are they? A class C. Class C. Oh, so high returns. Okay. Um, heavy lifts. Yeah, it's subjective. <laughs> pretty, pretty decent already stabilized. Yeah. They're all stabilized. Um, we're not doing anything like heavy lift wise. It's all value add plays. We're uh, going in typically anywhere, like doing like 80, 80 70% um, renovations on the total amount of units. So it just depends. But some properties are a little bit more of a heavy lift, but typically they're stabilized. Okay. Where would you say that you find the bulk of your investors? So we all have our, sometimes it's, it's yeah. our social media, like for our podcast. Sometimes it's just a direct, you know, going down our contact list. Where would you say you get most of your investors from that, that actually are active in your deals? For sure. Um, the, the main ones have come from family and friends and referrals. I would say mainly the friends. Like I said, I grew up in a low-income family, so my mom, um, her friends didn't really have never invested with us. Um, so it comes down to like my brother had college roommates who had uh, friends and things like that who referred us to their parents, and then their parents learned about what we were doing and checked us out, and we got on a call, and then eventually they invested and referred us to their friends. Um, so that's slowly how the business has grown in regards to our investor database. But another cool thing that we've been able to do, and as you kind of talked about earlier, was the amount of podcasts that we've been able to get on has really uh, grown our, our audience and our, our exposure to the marketplace. So we've just been able to get the marketing piece that my brother's worked on has really helped because we'll send a lot of traffic to our website and to our lead magnet and we'll collect email addresses and as that happens, we nurture them and eventually they're able to book calls with me. So a lot of people, although they, a lot of them haven't invested yet, we have their contact information and we're slowly building relationships with them. That's awesome. Um, what is, what is your, what's the goal? As far as yeah. 100,000 units or just enough to get um, an X amount of money passively? Have you guys set a goal yet? For sure. So, the, I mean, uh, the first goal is to retire my mom. And we want to do that the right way through passive income. So, obviously, active income, we could we could do that relatively soon. Um, my mom's pretty frugal, so she doesn't even need that much, right? <laughs> but in regards to, like, me wanting to do it correctly, I want to make sure that it's something that's long-lasting and uh, doing it the right way financially. Um, so, that's the first goal. Then after that, uh, life by design for my brothers and I, where we can – pretty much do what we want with our time. And um, I had a conversation with someone earlier this week about this topic. Um, really, like if you asked me what my why was, the first one would be to retire my mom. Obviously, I want to help people too. And I want, I want to build schools and things like that. So that's definitely one of the goals um, in third world countries. And that's something that is true to my heart. But 
same time, I grew up very competitive. I am very competitive right now too. I love to win and um, just to conquer. Like it's something that comes naturally. And I just, I have a lot of fun and fulfillment when I am able to succeed and accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. So that's one of the goals is just to have fun while I'm doing this and doing what I enjoy. And for now, that's what this is. So long-term looking to build it as big as possible. We, we do want to grow our, our portfolio to multiple billions of dollars. Um, thankfully, and, and thanks to God, I've, I've gotten into business very early. I'm surrounding myself with amazing people and I'm forever grateful for the mentors that I have and the mentors that I will have. So I know it's possible. Um, and right now, this is like what I do full-time and my hobbies are pretty much surrounded around my business and me just becoming a better version of myself. That's why I love to read and things like that. So um, the goal is pretty big. I would say it's uh, like over you know ten billion dollars of under uh, assets under management. Um, and I like to write down these really really crazy goals of like having ten billion assets under management by the time I'm twenty five, and then a hundred billion assets under management by the time I'm thirty. And I know that sounds like how how the hell can you do that? Like it's not even possible. But I like to think you know like Greg Cardone says ten x. And you know if I fall short from that those numbers, it'd be pretty good in my opinion. So yeah. Yeah, but if you fall at 10 billion, I'm, I'm sure you won't be too. No. Uh, <laughs> I got a new question for you that I'm going right. to start asking uh, panelists. Um, what is uh, a splurge that you want? So um, I'm hearing that you're still in the early stages in, you, in your mind, and you still have a whole lot that you want to uh, get in and hit it hard. Yeah. What's a splurge? What's something that you want? Um, to quote unquote waste a lot of money on is it a car is it a watch is it a ridiculous yeah. house and what is it and, that and how much yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah i've never got that question to be honest on a pocket but i love it um so my brothers and i um we do want to and, and there's different things that we want um like the cars and things like that um watches and things like that we do like nice things i mean who doesn't um, i say like the craziest thing i can tell you is we we eventually think that it would make sense for us to buy a plane but you would have to have a big enough company for that to make sense. Um, so I, I'd love to buy, my brother knows the exact type, kind of jet that we want. Um, and I'm not politically, I mean, may, people in your audience may think that's incorrect, but that's just something that we think eventually our time will be worth so much that it just makes sense to, you know, fly our employees out uh, and our, our people that are working with us out to the projects. Um, and as a team, they can go without having to go through the airport and things like that. So that's probably the biggest thing down to like the small granular things I, I love watches, um, and I love I love like the nice things. But, I love, um, give me a watch. Like I said, you give me a yeah. watch. If you're a watch guy, I'm a watch guy. I'm not a watch guy. guy. I can't say give I'm me a watch. watch. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I like Rolexes, and I, I can't I okay. can't act like I know the exact type. I'm not like uh, to be honest. I grew up very very frugal. My mom didn't have a lot of money, so I don't know the exact watches. And right now, I only own one watch, so that's why I I, I know that I will buy them once once that like passive income starts to come in. You know mm -hmm. what I mean. Um, that's when I'll, I'll be able to spend the money that I guess you can say a splurge, but I don't know the exact kind of watch yet. I just know I've been looking them up. I'm like, okay, and I know what I'm going to get. And I don't know the type. I just know Rolex is what I want. Um, that's probably the first watch. And yeah, just not knowing the exact type yet, but maybe I should, I have it on my, uh, on my vision board. <laughs> when, when you see it or when you see your, get to your vision board, shoot me a picture. So I'm on, yeah, I'm yeah, I will. Next year and say, Hey, did Someone you get that watch <laughs> <laughs> it's it's bust down so <laughs> <laughs> nice okay now i'm really excited um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is the most difficult 
thing for you to do a process as you're going into the deals. For example, you're going into the deal, um, and I don't want to say struggle, um, but what what is the most yeah. difficult part? Is it is it the property management side? Is it? Um, I know it might it might even be materials. I know materials still a pain in the butt. Is there anything specific? Maybe it's it's getting, uh, and I just want to throw out a few examples so you can kind of understand the uh, the question. Or maybe it's getting um, investors to go from a soft commitment to an actual hard commitment. But in the the complexity, because our deals are very complex, a lot of moving parts. What right. is the the biggest pain point that you have in a deal? Yeah, I think it depends on like the current uh, environment that we are in in regards to the like global situation in the economy. So right now, um, in regards to the deal we work on or whatever, like right now, if we were to be working on a deal, which we are uh, raising the capital, sometimes just investors are tend to be a little bit more scared when uh, there's the fear of a recession coming, right? So that's something that we definitely are are noticing that it's more of a challenge now than it was six months ago when real estate was quote unquote hot in the place to be. It wasn't that hard to convince investors to invest, but now it's a little bit more like they're like, okay, maybe I'm just going to wait to see what happens and where things fall into place. So on the front end, I'd say that um, on the back end, when it comes to asset management, um, it, it managing, I mean, managing the construction projects that are happening at your properties, that's always a challenge. Uh, working and being consistent and staying organized. That's not something that necessarily comes, uh, that's not that, that, that difficult, but I would say, Making sure that people are doing what they what they uh, what they said they were going to do on time, and are being punctual with that, and because that's very very important when it comes to executing the business plan and staying punctual. Uh, and that's something that we've definitely had to learn through and kind of go through some property management comp- um, and property management people. Um, so we have a certain person that's on site at these properties um, now, not necessarily changing the property management company, but sometimes having to kind of go through a certain amount of people to find the right one that fits. Uh, per project because it's not easy right the property management does definitely has a, a big role and an important role and it can be challenging so sometimes it does take a few people to, to find the right one mm-hmm. okay i got two more questions for you um and then because i always try to be respectful of your time yeah, and yeah. also the, uh, the guest time that are on here um the two questions one um i'm giving them to you both at the same time and then you can answer both of them one, what yeah. is your um, your outlook, your thoughts or whatever on the recession, the numbers, interest rate, inflation, so on and so forth. And then I would like you to um, finish off with uh, telling us about your podcast and go in a little bit more detail about that. Yeah, so my outlook, um, I know that the Fed tomorrow, they're going to meet um, and uh, it's like an 80 to 90% chance based on what... Uh, different groups that I follow and sources are saying that they're going to raise uh, interest rates, 75 basis points. Yeah. Um, in regards to the overall outlook, I don't, I, I do think, and this is my crystal ball, I guess. I do think that eventually they will start coming down maybe in the next two to three years. Uh, interest rates will start to slowly come down or stabilize and won't go any higher than where they are now. But right now, I mean, the Fed is obviously trying to control inflation. Um, that's where like, I, I can't act like I'm an expert. I, I really think that, um, it's it, right now they're just testing and kind of trying to see what's going to happen, whether if they keep raising rates and can they control inflation or what's going to break. And slowly, I, I know eventually they're going to have to come back down. So my prediction is that uh, interest rates will come back down slowly. Um, in regards to the recession, I, I've heard a lot, I mean, a lot of sources that I follow 
already think we're in the recession, arguably. So uh, yeah, I think that will happen and we will go into recession. But in regards to us and our business, that doesn't necessarily change anything. If anything, there's more people that are scared, um, which Warren Buffett always says when there's fear in the streets, that's when you buy. Um, yeah. So we're always looking. And, and I do think there's a lot of opportunity if you know what you're doing. Um, one of my mentors, his name's Hunter Thompson, and he always talks about there's, it's always a good time to buy real estate if you know what you're doing and you're educated. Um, but especially when there's fear, um, there's like what, what he means by that is right now, it's great for people that have been in the industry for a long time. But if you don't know what you're doing, uh, it probably isn't a smart idea to start buying it, right? Because then that's kind of how you um, lead yourself into mistakes. But if you're surrounding yourself with awesome people that are either mentors or just partners that you can kind of leverage their knowledge, that's when it's going to be a great time to buy, regardless of what the economic situation looks like. Um, that's kind of what we're doing in our business is we're, we're still looking for deals. Um, things are changing. We're going to have to maneuver and, and adapt to the current environment, whether that's the debt market or inflation or all these things. But at the end of the day, real estate's an inflation hedging asset. And that's why we're very, very opportunistic throughout this time. Um, and to my, go into the podcast, um, it's called the Real Estate Monopoly. So my twin brother, I can't take a lot, all the credit for the podcast. He, he handles that. Um, and what we'll do is we'll bring on real estate professionals in commercial real estate, um, very big fix and flippers, just anyone that we have uh, a lot of respect for. And we have a lot of respect for a lot of people in the space, but anyone that we think can bring value to our audience, we'll bring on to the podcast for a 30 to 45 minute interview. Uh, today, we recorded one with Hunter Thompson, who uh, wrote this book right behind me, uh, How to Raise Capital in Real Estate. Um, and it's an amazing book and he's an amazing individual and he's got a big platform and just giving a lot of content like that. So people that are giving a lot of value to people and uh, we'll bring them on to give value to our audience as well. So if you're interested in checking that out, make sure to uh, look it up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any podcast aggregator out there and you'll find it. It's called The Real Estate Monopoly. Mm-hmm. I got it. I got it. Awesome. Uh, and before we open it up, just to see if anybody has any questions, yeah. do you have uh, one or more gold nuggets that you would like to drop on the audience? Yeah, I would say um, the, the, the best and most important thing that you can do to take action is to start surrounding yourself with the people that are doing what you want to do. So Dale Carnegie said, the sum of the five people that you surround yourself with are going to make up who you are. I'll take that a little step further and say, uh, if you're looking to do something, that whatever it is what you want to do, just hang out with the people that are doing that. And it may sound, it is easier to say it than actually to do it. But if, you know, a 19 year old can start buying apartments in his twenties, I know that there's a lot of things that you all might not be think you can do, but that's a limiting belief at the end of the day, regardless of where you are. I think a lot of the things that you may not think you can do are very achievable. It's all about the people you're hanging out with, the books you're reading, the content you're consuming and the massive action that you are, or you are not taking. Awesome. I appreciate that. All right. Um, does anyone have any questions? Um, I will take everyone off of mute real quick. Um, yeah, this was a, a very interesting crowd. We had people rolling through like it was a bar. <laughs> All right. So everyone is off. Bar, mute. <laughs> I will give you guys uh, a few seconds. Um, to see if you have any questions uh, for Jeffrey before we uh, allow him to get back to his night. And I also appreciate you, Jeffrey, for coming on. Yeah. Um, oh, it is 10 o'clock. You're an hour and a half ahead. You're in Florida, right? 
I'm in North Carolina, but you're right. It's uh, about to be 10 here. So okay. definitely so nighttime. I I, I, I'm happy to be here. No, no, of <laughs> course. I appreciate your opportunity. So let's see. Um, does anybody have any questions for Jeffrey before we let him go? They can always reach out to me on my email as well if you don't, if you're not able to come up with any go questions ahead, now. No worries. Hi, uh, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Thanks, Eric. Hey, I, I don't, I don't really have a question. I just want to call, uh, congratulate you on on all your success. I've actually been following you guys uh, since you started that transition into uh, buying multifamily, and awesome. I, I gotta say, you guys are absolutely killing it. Um, especially for the age that you guys are doing. I remember when I was y'all's age, I was in real estate, but definitely not doing deals. Uh, the same size that you guys are doing. So I just got to congratulate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Clear. And I, anything we can do to help, and I'd love to connect offline as well, um, but I appreciate it. Yes, I will. Um, I'll, I'll back Xavier. I've been following you guys for a while. And also, Xavier is a good person to hook up with too. I think it'd be a lot of synergy yeah. uh, between you guys. And thanks for, sure. for coming on, Xavier. I, I appreciate it as well. Um, everyone, you are off of mute. Um, I just ask that you don't talk over each other, but is there anyone else who has a question or comment for Jeffrey? Go on once, let me check Facebook, make sure everybody had anything on there. Oh, I love Facebook. Facebook automatically does close captioning. <laughs> All right, go on once, go on twice. All right, Jeffrey, I appreciate yeah, you I just, coming on. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to reach out just to say thank you. I mean, we're just for coming on. And thanks for hosting. Yeah. Thank you for being on. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, Charles. We appreciate it. I appreciate you for hosting this, Presley. This is awesome. Yes. Yeah, so, Jeffrey, your information will be on all of the podcast details. Um, and you, you have the intro packet, so you kind of have an idea of, of what's going to happen after this. Um, yeah, so I appreciate you coming on. Um, make sure nobody else had a question on Facebook. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on and, um, good luck, man. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to see those billion dollar numbers. It is a very, very realistic uh, go. I mean, because think about it, our our industry is almost a ten to fifty million dollar increment at a time. You know, so if we're buying yeah. a building, building it's, it's nothing to be for it to be a twenty or fifty million. We're right. really, are, you know, seventy five, eighty million dollar if you're getting into the larger property. So you'll get there probably yeah. a lot faster than you think, and the amount of energy and motivation that you have. Um, especially, you know, you and your brothers and the, the people that you're surrounding yourself with. Yeah, I think you're going to get there a, a lot faster than you think. I just asked whatever car you buy, uh, I want to be the, the <laughs> third or the fourth person to be able to ride in it. <laughs> oh, man, I want to drive your car. It seems like you have a nice car. <laughs> oh, have you seen my baby? <laughs> I haven't. I, have, I should have asked. Uh, it's, 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 what do you it's, have? It's, yeah. I have a uh, CLS AMG. So it's, okay. it's, awesome. it's a nice yeah. starter car. It's not a Ferrari or anything, but it's, yeah. it's a nice starter car. Yeah, I look good at McDonald's. 
<laughs> no, no, it's coming. The Ferrari's coming, right? It's coming. It's coming. All right, man. I will let you go. I appreciate yeah. you being on. Um, you are welcome of to course. come on anytime. Just, just let me know, and I'll bring you on as a guest. And uh, I thank you for coming on because, yeah, it's, it's Eastern time on, on your end. So, um, again, sure, yeah, thank I you appreciate for coming it. on. Thank you, everybody, who is listening and watching. And I will see everybody next Tuesday. Sounds good. Have a great night, Russell. Right. Thank Bye. you so much. Yes, sir. See, see you later. Yeah.